This morning we're going to begin in a familiar place in um, Philippians 4, beginning with Philippians 4.4, 4, verses 4 to 9. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Every time I read this passage, it's a new word to me. I don't know about if you feel the same way. But there's a couple things in here that always bring reminder to me. We talked about the word last week, renew. And this is something that every time I read it, it renews some important things about my mind that where my mind should be, because over the course of time, you know, we're reminded of these things, and then, you know, life happens, and you begin to forget some of these things, and then you read it again, it's like, that's right, you know, because if we're not here, then we're somewhere else. If we're not rejoicing in the Lord, then we're in a place Maybe we're grumbling, or we're negative, maybe we're depressed, we're discouraged, we're worldly-minded, our thoughts aren't pure, they're not right, they're not just, they're not of a good report, all these different things that we just read. And this is a reminder to come back. You know, just like the prodigal son comes back, to bring our minds back where they belong. To bring our minds back to every thought obeying Christ. And obeying Christ is to have a good report. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And that means that our minds and our hearts must be in a place of faith where we're rejoicing. <clears throat> I've often talked about the Winnie the Pooh character Eeyore because I think it, it's one that I, I can relate to, maybe you can too, where we fall through these pits, these valleys, we're just like of, of this black cloud hanging over us where everything is negative. And it's like you, you have everything is in the wrong place. Or some things are in the right place and some things are in the wrong place. Of, you know, we're anxious. We're fearful. We have, we're on fear all these things, you know. We fear our safety. We fear for our loved ones. We fear for people we're praying for. They're not going the right direction. <coughs> we don't see God answering our prayers. 
you know, and all these things are stacking up and it becomes like we're carrying the weight of the world on our shoulders. Instead of casting our burden on the Lord, we're casting that burden on ourselves. And, and then one day, you know, God corrects us. We read something like this. There's other scriptures, many other scripture passages like this. This is just one of them, but this one really gets right to the point. And we realize, what is this big boulder doing on my back? You know, and then we cast it on the Lord. Cast it upon the Lord. All our burden, we cast them upon the Lord. And then <clears throat> we begin to rejoice in the Lord. And we begin to pray to the Lord. We're encouraged to pray and we trust God. And we're, and we're praying and we're rejoicing. And we're thankful. And we're grateful. And we're not grumbling anymore. We're not negative and doubtful and we're renewed in our walk a revival happens and then we lose sight somewhere along the line life happens and we begin to lose sight of that again there's that big rock on our back again that big boulder and we're carrying it we're we're slumped over and and we're you know we're dragging along again and so as we read this It says to be anxious about nothing. Is it possible to be anxious about nothing? I would say this. If it's being commanded, then it's possible. But it's not going to come without a fight. When the Bible says bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ, uh, that means there's going to be a fight. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's a war. There's a war going on in our in our hearts and our minds to be spiritually minded, to have every thought in the right place, to have our mind and our hearts in the right place. And the, in verse 7 it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we come to the place of faith, that we believe God, we trust in the integrity of God's Word, we believe what He says is true, and we act upon it, and we live upon it, we think upon it, and it guards our hearts and minds, and the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds. If we've ever experienced the peace of God in our hearts and our minds, uh, we know that it's it doesn't make sense to the natural mind. And we know the blessing of it, if we've ever experienced it. And so, <clears throat> what this is talking about here is staying in that place. Not just riding the, 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 the roller coaster Christianity, where, we're, like I described earlier, where we're trusting God, and we're on that mountaintop, and then we're down in the valley, and we're up on the mountaintop and down in the valley. You know what that is? That's instability. That's the double-minded man. And we have to fight through that. And <clears throat> maturity as a Christian is those valleys are not as deep anymore, and they come less often, and you get out of them more quickly. You begin to learn the blessedness of trusting God, and that God is worthy 
to be trusted and that you can trust his word and he is faithful and he is just and he stands by his word and you begin to learn to apply that and every time we lose our way and we we we, we lose sight of that we begin to more quickly say i gotta get out of that place i gotta get that burden up my back i gotta get out of this fear and anxiety i gotta get back to the place of peace because that place of peace is a very good and enjoyable place. That's the place we want to be. I heard a preacher one time preach on this way back when. Uh, and the, and the, name of the, the name of the message was The Beautiful Land of Rest in God. Talking about resting in God. And resting in God comes through faith. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, it says, We who believe God enter his rest. And that's very similar to what the writer of Hebrews is talking about. It's talking very similar to what we're reading here in Philippians. The place, the beautiful land of rest in God. This place of rest and peace. It doesn't come without fight. And fight with what? Fight against the influence of the enemy. And fighting against the natural reasons of our human nature, of our mind. That's why we need to be born again. That's why we need the Spirit of God to guide us in a different way. The way, not the natural way, but a spiritual way. This isn't natural and it doesn't make sense to our senses. The course of nature, in the book of James, James says, the course of nature is set on the fire of hell. It's our carnal mind, our carnal nature. It's the wrong way. You know, <clears throat> at work, we have uh, a parking lot and we have a driveway. And then there's a, it's one way. And when you come around, there's a, there's a, a sign that says, do not enter, wrong way. And sure enough, once in a while, people are going to go through there. <laughs> it says right there, before you go in that driveway, wrong way, do not enter. I go anyway. And that's the carnal nature, the carnal mind. It's the wrong way. And God tells us that in every way you can possibly imagine. Wrong way. The spiritual mind is the mind of the Spirit. The mind of the Holy Spirit. And so, before we go any further in the book of Philippians 4, I want to go backwards to uh, a couple examples. One of the things that's good, we read something in the New Testament, there's usually, to some degree, a demonstration of it. Of many of the things that are taught in the New Testament, many of the principles are um, kind of expounded on in the Old Testament. You see how they, these things kind of apply, even though they're in the Old Testament. And the first one I'm going to go to is in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses uh, 1 to 13. Now while we're turning there, 1 Samuel is after uh, Ruth and Judges. And we read at the end of the book of Judges that every man was doing that which was right in his own eyes worshiping idols, he was doing whatever he thought was right, as opposed to what God said was right. 
similar to the time we have today. And unfortunately, to a measure of Christendom, there's a lot of that going on. People doing that which is right in their own eyes, as opposed to the Word of God. And so here in 1 Samuel, chapter 6, or chapter 7, I'm sorry, and verse 1 is right after the Ark of the Covenant had been taken by the Philistines uh, because the Israelites had been rebels against God, didn't follow God's way. The Lord said through Moses, If you follow my way, no man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Told that to Joshua, told that to the children of Israel. They will come at you one way, they will scatter in seven different directions. For the nation of Israel, that's the way it was, if they followed the Lord. But God also warned, if you didn't follow me and take heed to my word, you won't be able to stand before your enemies. Yeah. And so, he said the opposite will be true. They will come at you one way, and you'll scatter in seven different directions. The opposite. And so, it got so bad at this time, <clears throat> when Samuel became a prophet, that they... Uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant was taken, Israel's Ark of the Covenant, which had the Ten Commandments in it. But after a series of plagues, the Philistines sent it back. In the, the town of Kir, it, land, it ended up in the land of Kirajirim. And so that's where we pick, pick up in uh, chapter uh, 7, verse 1 of 1 Samuel. Then the men of Kirajirim came and took the Ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the, of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in kirjath Jerem a long time. It was there twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths, from among you, and prepare your hearts for the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths, Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, and poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, excuse me, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for this, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And then Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below Bethkar. 
Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen, and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were sub subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. <clears throat> There's a couple things that you see here that are helpful to what we're talking about. <clears throat> the one is that they, these Israelites, they realized that they had sinned and they, and they cleared their conscience before God. And now life was happening. They made peace with God, but now they were in big trouble. And so it says that they were afraid, and they asked Samuel to cry out to the Lord for them. And Samuel was an intercessor, and he offered up a lamb. And then God responded. This is all about the grace of God. And Samuel is a type of Jesus who offered up his own blood for us. Samuel offering up the blood here was an intercessor, kind of in the Old Testament as we are as we look to Jesus in the New Testament. And as we trust him for forgiveness and for help, you see, as we come to the cross of Jesus and we're cleansed by the blood of Christ, and we put faith in him that we are now his our, we are now the children of God, as we talked about last week, then we have help. And then God responded because of faith. Faith of Samuel and faith of the people. Cry out to the Lord. And they had faith in God and God responded and helped them. The second one is in Samuel chapter, I mean not Samuel, Numbers chapter 13. And in Numbers 13, we'll read from uh, verse, verses 1 and 2, and then 23 to 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Verse 23. Then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshcol because the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after forty days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. <clears throat> they, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. 
And the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the, pe the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as, as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. <clears throat> the first point I'd like to make is that God told in the in verses one and two, the Lord told Moses to send out the twelve the twelve spies. But if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, you will see at this point Moses talks about it, and what what the whole story. This is only part of the story. The whole story about this is is that God told them to go into the land of Canaan, and the people. The, the leaders among the Israelites said, well, wait a minute. We should, they proposed to send in spies to look at, we want to look this over. We want to see what's over there before we go over there, before everybody goes over there. You know, before we take our families over there, before we take everything over there, we want to see what's going on over there first. The first sign of mistrust. But God was willing to entertain their fears. and said, okay, one from each of you tribes, take them over, send them over. We want to remember that God had promised this land to Abraham 400 years before. And he kept on, that promise kept on being reminded. And then when Moses came and he announced to the Israelites when they were bondage in Egypt, God's going to deliver you, he's going to give you that land. And this promise kept on coming up over and over again before he got to this point. This was God saying something. He was going to do something for them. And yet, their hearts were hard. And they said, God said, okay, go in. Moses, take the people in. And, and the people were apprehensive. And they said, well, wait. First, we want to send some spies. We want to look it over first. We want to look over what God's going to give us first. Let's see what we're getting into here first. So, we don't want to just go into this blindly. You know, in Christendom, there's, and even in the world, there's a term, blind faith. You know, the Bible does not teach blind faith. Faith is about seeing the unseen. It's about seeing things through the eyes of faith. And in Hebrews, it points out, in chapter 11 that we believe that God made the heavens and the earth. But we weren't there. It happened thousands of years ago. We weren't there. Is that blind faith? No, we believe it, and we see it because we believe it through the eyes of faith. God says it, and we believe it. It's in the Word of God. We believe the integrity of the Word of God. And so it is here. God kept on saying, I'm going to give you this land, I'm going to give you this land, going to give you the land of Ab that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
they were strangers in that land, I'm going to give it to you all. And they said, well, wait a minute, we want to look it over. And so that was. They went. God, God humored them and said, okay, one from each tribe. Twelve guys, you're going to go in there. Okay, Moses sent them. They went in there. They spied out the land. They come back with all this beautiful fruit, these grapes that were carried on a pole between two men because it was so large. And they first start out, and they say, yes, this is a wonderful land. It's full of good stuff. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a, a land of riches, you know. The land is full of good produce. It's just like God said it is. But, then they began to look at everything, every obstacle, and said, Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. Cities are fortified, every, very large. We saw the, the descendants of the giants there. The men who are going up with them said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report. We just read earlier, they read in the book of Philippians, where it said, Whatever things are of a good report, think on these things. And this is a very important message to us. Whatever things are of a good report, think on these things. Bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ. We read in Hebrews 11 that it's impossible to please God except by faith. To believe that He will reward us for diligently seeking Him. That we believe His Word. We can't believe God unless we believe what He says. We can't please God unless we believe what He says. Do we believe what He's saying? Concerning us. We say, ah, well, you know, God really going to do all that for me? I know God can do it, but will he do it? The Bible says the promises of God are yes in Christ and amen to the glory of God. We talk about it all the time. It's an open door to those who are followers of Christ, those who believe Christ, those who believe his word. The doors have swung wide open. As you have believed, let it be done unto you. We hear the words of Jesus. Your faith has made you well. You believed in Him. We are called to live this kind of a life. The life of the Christian is a call to this kind of a life. That we should no longer be anxious and fearful about our circumstances. You see the children of Israel, you listen to their words of this evil report. And we've done this. We've looked at our circumstances and got fearful and anxious. There's not anybody here that that hasn't happened to. The bad report. The good report is the report of faith. Don't just look at the circumstances through a natural. That is what the children of Israel did. The ten spies with the evil report. They looked at it according to what they saw, according to their senses, according to their natural mind. They looked at it according to the course of nature. Big giants, fortified cities, they got more weapons, they're better, they're better trained, blah, blah, blah. Not the power of God. Not a spiritual mind. Not a good report. The good report says, God says it, I believe it, I'm going to rest in that. The beautiful land of resting God happens we enter it through believing God. 
We enter it through believing God. And so, you see that the children of Israel were concerned about their safety and the safety of their children. You know, that's something in this evil world we live in, we deal with every day. And you see people in Christendom doing all kinds of things to protect themselves in the natural, instead of trusting in the power of God. And it's nothing new. That's been going on throughout the history of Christendom. You see all these, this natural reasoning and all these reasons why they compromise and do things against the Word of God because they're fearful. And they make, can, they make compromises based on fear and anxiety for their safety, for them and their children. They reason and they reason and they reason it away and compromise and compromise and compromise. And what you have is what we see in Christianity. A lot of strange things in Christendom. A lot of things that Jesus didn't teach and actually taught against. That's what you have. Because of fear. <clears throat> An evil report was based on logic, human reasoning, and not the Word of God. That's how you get Christian militia, where you have these Christian groups gathering together and marching and stockpiling weapons and grenades and bombs and all this other crazy stuff and storming the White House and all these other things. A portion of the people that did that were, were you know, had, you know, were professing, you know, to be part of Christendom. And it's ridiculous. It's not the Word of God. All these, <clears throat> all these natural reasonings against, against, instead of just doing what Jesus and the Apostles taught us and the way they live. The Apostle Paul said, The things you have heard, seen, and been learned, the things that you saw in me do. Follow Jesus' life, life of the apostles, the things you saw in me do. And you see Jesus carrying weapons. The apostles, they carried weapons when Jesus told them to. He said, because the scripture must be fulfilled, that he had to be numbered among the transgressors. And they carried two swords, and he referred to them as transgressors. And when they used the weapons, he, re he rebuked them. Oh, and then all the logic comes out. Well, we can't do that because trusting in the power of God to preserve us, all things working together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. In loving God and loving one another, the enemy of our soul, how are we going to stand up against him unless we listen to God? That's a listen to what he's saying. Because a lot of people in Christendom, they get disappointed and they point their finger at God. But it's not God who's at fault. They're not listening to him. If they would listen to what he's saying, if they would take heed to his word and not apply logic and, and natural reasoning to it, they wouldn't be disappointed. 
they wouldn't turn into a train wreck. The bad report. <clears throat> so now as we go into chapter 14, we read verses 1 to 11, and we see the fruit of the bad report. Dwelling on a bad report. What does it do to somebody? Go ahead, Dave. Please. So all the congregation lifted up their voice, voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all... The Israel, all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceeding, exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people reject me? How long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? Okay. Yeah. So here we have it. The fruit of dwelling on an evil report, a bad report. Whatsoever things of a good report, think upon them. Things that are pure, true. Word of God is true. Things that are just, things that are right. Things that are of a good report. You see what a bad report does to people. It blinds them. They're completely and totally blind now. And God said about this people, they don't know my ways. They don't know him. They know a lot about him. They've seen a lot of his works. He said they saw my works for 40 years. They didn't know someone who, who did miracles among them for 40 years. For 40 years. And so here we have it. After all the plagues of Egypt, and after this great and mighty supernatural deliverance, after the waters parting and the Red Sea, their heart is still hard. And manna coming down from heaven, and quails blowing in from the sea, and all the things God demonstrated. They gain no insight from all the miracles. People say, if I saw the miracles that they did in the early church, I would believe. No, not true. Many people who saw Jesus' miracles conspired to have Jesus crucified. 
They saw his miracles eye to eye, face to face. Why? Because their heart is hard. They held on to unbelief. And unbelief will undo every time. Will undo us every time. We must believe the things that we have heard. We must continue in them. When Jesus says, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. He means enduring in believing. And continuing in the faith. We must continue to believe. You see the connection between what we read here and what Paul taught in the Philippians chapter 4. And the danger of not listening to what God spoke through, through Paul. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read that this is written here for our warning to us in the New Testament Christians. Should not to fall by, this, fall by the same example of hardness of heart and of unbelief. So now today, how are we looking at our circumstances? If we are looking at them in a negative way, we're doing exactly what the children of Israel did. Except for two people. Two men, Joshua and Caleb. I want you to again, I'm going to read you again the words of Joshua and Caleb. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of this land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. Do not fear them. The Lord is with us. They're looking at the same thing that the other ten were looking at. They saw the giants. They saw the fortresses. They saw the the trained armies, they're looking at the exact same thing and says, they're our bread. We're going to eat them up. Their, de their protection has departed from them. You know what the people said? What are you looking at? What are you talking about? And they tried to stone them. They were going to stone them to death. What are you looking at? What are you seeing? The eyes of faith. They heard the words of the Lord and they believed them. That's what they were looking at. That's why they said their, the protection is gone for them, because the Lord is with us. We heard the word of the Lord. We believe it. They didn't. The rest of them didn't. The other ten spies, we read later in the next chapter, it cost them their life. God destroyed them in a plague. Judgment against those who refuse <coughs> to believe in the help of God. That's pretty stern. God expects us that what he says we believe and live by it. To live by what he says and to trust in what he says. God's response to the children of Israel's unbelief. He says to Moses, again in verse 11, How long will these people reject me? Not just when we reject God's promises, we're not just rejecting his promises, we're rejecting his word, we're rejecting his integrity, the truth about his integrity, we're rejecting him. We're rejecting who he really is. We don't believe he'll reward us for following him and seeking him and praying to him. 
and trust in him. That's where these people were. They didn't believe that God, in God's favor, his grace towards them. They didn't earn any of this. Everything that God promised wasn't because they earned it. They didn't understand grace. They didn't understand the unmerited favor that God had given them for being the descendants, being the children of Abraham. And as the children of God, do we see any differently us and the favor that God gives us, the grace that he has granted to us concerning our lives, concerning our needs, concerning our, the, uh, the safety and the well-being of our children? Are we insecure about all that? This is very serious. This is a very serious thing that we're talking about here. Because this is the foundation of the way we live. Living by faith in the Son of God. For the saving of our soul. For our well-being. The well-being of our children. Our needs. Uh, all the circumstances of problems of life. This is what it's about. Is applying our trust in God to these situations. And then as we go to Numbers uh, 14.22, I'll read this, it's just a few here. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt and the wilderness have put me to test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice, they certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where he went, as his descendants will inherit it. Except for, in verse 30, except for Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones who you said will be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have despised. And they did go into the land 40 years later, and they did follow the Lord. That whole generation followed the Lord, it says. They got to know it. The land of rest. The children who they thought would be victims, because they didn't trust God for their children, they're going to go in, but you're not. They never entered God's rest. The beautiful land of rest in God. It's only entered by faith, by trusting God. For today, for your life and mine, for what we're going through, we have to take these principles, these teachings, these scriptures that we heard, and get it down and apply it to me and you. We have to apply it to our lives as individuals. We can't apply it to somebody else, but we can apply it to our life. We can't live somebody else's life, but we can live our own life. And we can live our own life before God in a way that pleases Him. It's not possible to please God except by faith. That's the way that pleases Him. From here to eternity. For this life and the life to come. There's blessings for this life and the life to come if we believe Him. Otherwise, we're going to be anxious, we're fearful, and we're going to design a plan B 
of compromise. We're going to go back to Egypt, the way of the world. We're going to use worldly ways to and apply them to our problems. Go back to Egypt. Bondage. Foolishness. That's compromise. That's the way of the world. That's the bad report. Whatever things are of a good report, think on these things. Bringing our mind to the right pace. When it talks about bringing every thought captive to obeying Christ, it's talking about things that are pure, you know, certainly not immoral things, and ungodly things. It's talking about bringing things that are just into our mind, not thinking things that are unjust towards others and unloving. Whatever things that are pure, whatever things that are beautiful, lovely, it says, things of love, the love of God shed upon our heart. Whatever things are of a good report. Think on these things. That's where our mind should be. That's where our spiritual mind is. If we have an evil report going on, if we're full of negativity and, and doubt and unbelief, we're in the place of the evil report. And very clearly demonstrated to us is what happens. And in the book of Numbers, what happens when we're in a place of a bad report. We begin to reap the fruit of a bad report. And <clears throat> what happened here in Numbers 11? They believed the evil report, and the unbelief led to more unbelief, and led to more compromise, to the point where they were going to murder the two guys who had the right idea. The two people that, had the, that were, were, were proclaiming the word of God, they were trying to murder them. They were going to kill them. How twisted they became. How blind they became. The road of unbelief. The road of the evil report. That's what, that's what happens. Your mind becomes twisted. And corrupted. So finally as we go back to Philippians. Chapter 4. A few uh, verses I want to cover. Philippians 4.11 Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Some versions say I've learned the secret of contentment, whatever my circumstances. Every time I read this, I think of a testimony of George Mueller, the man who ran all those orphans by faith, and people giving donations with him ever asking for any of it. And at one point, and he's and it's like they're living from day to day, from hand to mouth. And what does he do? He gets in a ship, and he goes to a far to another continent to preach the word. Went to another continent, thousands of miles away from England. He put it in the hands of his son-in-law, and off he went. And if that wasn't amazing enough, he talked about it when he was away. In his journal, he talked about how he was in complete peace about the ministry back at home, even, even though he wasn't there. He had just put it completely in the hands of the Lord, just like he did when he was there. And he just felt like, you know, it's going to be well and everything. And he was gone for months, and he came back. 
God had taken care of everything. Things had gone on without him. Because it, it wasn't depending on him whether he was there to oversee it or not. You know, God, the same God who took care of him when he was there was going to take care of him when he wasn't there. And that ministry cont continued after his death. And I'm told that it's continued to this day, hundred years later, over 100 years later, after he passed away. I have learned the secret of being content no matter what my circumstances is. And that version that calls it a secret, it is a secret that's unlocked to us through the Spirit. To understand it is only to be understood in the Spirit. Not according to logic, not according to our senses and our human reasonings. He goes on to say, well, I've learned how to live humbly, learned how to prosper or abound, both being full and being hungry, abound and suffering need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do it. We can be content in our circumstances, whatever they are. Because God's strengthening us. He comes to our aid. <clears throat> Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your needs according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. People of this world fear not having enough. And we find ourselves fearing it too because it's a natural survival instinct that's in all of us. Survival instincts. But to be a Christian, we have to go against our instincts. We have to do our part to take care of our needs, work with our hands, as the Bible teaches us, like Paul did. But he says, my God shall supply all of our needs. Be content. You know, when you get older, you begin to fear, what about when I can't work anymore? What about if I get sick? What about if I get, you know, get injured and I can't take care of my kids and I can't support my family? There's all kinds of things that I know that I felt from the time I was a young father even to this day. You feel it. You feel those things. Those things are real. They're not imaginary. They're real. Those challenges are real. But we can imagine a lot of bad things happening. And that's why the Bible says the casting down imagination. And every high thing, everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought <coughs> captive to obeying Christ. That, that means what we've been talking about today too. This fear for our needs, this fear for our protection for us and our loved ones and the fear for our loved ones being saved and being anxious about it and being troubled about it and being <clears throat> distressed about it and being dismayed about it. Cast our burdens upon the Lord. The good report. We all have these kinds of challenges in one way or another. All those are those challenge, different kinds of challenges like this. Casting our burden upon the Lord. Believing the Lord, the good report. That's what we got to do. Brother Dave, I'm going to turn it over to you. I was just thinking about, it's funny because I, 
was thinking about some of these things this morning, um, and on my way over, driving in the car, I was just talking to the Lord about how, you know, like, sort of, when am I going to get to that point where I don't, you know, walk by sight, where, like you said, where life happens, and if you find yourself tumbling, um, you know, and not having that anchor that's holding your your eyes to the Lord, you know, to look upon Him and not fear and not worry, and and here you are bringing the message this morning that you know is an answer to those those pleas to God. But you know, I was thinking um, as you were just ending, I was recalling in in Second um, Chronicles when when. Jehoshaphat um, called a fast on the land, much like, you know, we just read about, and they, they turned their hearts to God, and they repented of their sin, and they, clen- they were cleansed so that they could cry out to God in a time of great fear, because it was great multitudes coming against them. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, and he spoke to Jehoshaphat and all of the people, and he said, he said, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, and I think that that's what we need to, to remember in all things, not just, you know, real battles like, you know, people invading our country and battles like that, but the battles of everyday life, that God wants us to have rest and to let Him fight the battle, just to trust and to do what he asks us to do. Sometimes it's to wait and to be patient, to be still. And other times there's things that, you know, he'll indicate to us that he wants us to do. But if we're frozen in fear, we can't hear that still small voice of God leading us. And oftentimes it's because it's a result of ongoing um, lack of focus in our lives, where we've de- where life has happened and we haven't been taking every thought captive through it, we've been getting tossed back and forth, and then we find it very hard to hear that still small voice. And the answer is always the same thing: it's to to re- re- to repent, to turn back to God, and to say, "I've lost sight of these important things, and I've allowed." the things of this world and the flesh to overcome my mindset and I'm returning to you and I'm asking you to cleanse me and now I want you to please just be my Lord and God and Savior and Defender and and I want to be still and, and, and trust you. And when we do that, it's, it's inevitable. Like every time we do that, God is so good to um, reward that that you know, mindset and that and that act of simple repentance. Mm. And so, you know, we read this over and over and over in so many stories. Um, and it was God, you know, giving us this great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about for us to remember that they were men and women of the flesh like we were, and they had to learn to walk in the Spirit and walk obediently and, and overcome the flesh with the spirit and that's what God is you know God that's what God is doing every day through these trials and the beauty of all of it and like you were saying early on is that you know we have to trust in the grace of God 
we didn't we didn't and we won't earn any of this and we need to make peace with that and the when we do that that's when that's when the 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 joy of the lord really fills us because we realize that his love for us loved us while we were yet his enemy loves us through all this mess if we just turn our heart to him his love is what is going to keep us he desires to keep all those the father has given him and he's not going to lose any of us mm -hmm. we just have to continue to you know yield in this process mm -hmm. i was thinking about what you were saying about the battle is the lord's the battle is the lord's as we give it to him you know if we hold that burden on ourselves you know the battle's on us and that's why we get beat up but when we give it to Him, we cast our burden on Him through faith. Casting a burden on the Lord is an act of faith. Where I'm not going to be burdened by this anymore. I'm giving it to you. Help me. You know, we, we give it to Him and we take a step of faith. And that burden gets off our back. And when it tries to get on, you just keep on casting it, all that imagination down. And all the bad things that can happen. And all the, what if this happens? What if that happens? All that nonsense. we got to stop. And keep on casting our burden on the Lord. And then the battle is the Lord's. That's how the battle becomes the Lord's, as we give the battle to Him. But if we hold on to the battle, and the battle is ours, and here we are getting beat up, and we don't understand why. So that's really important to be a victorious, overcoming Christian, is to continue uh, to take that step of faith of giving these burdens to the Lord and keeping them there, not taking them back again and back and forth and back and forth. Because that's how we ride the roller coaster. That's the way we begin to ride the roller coaster. So here we are. Um, you know, getting beat up and saying, well, why isn't God helping me? Well, that's what this is all about. This is what we're talking about. It's because we're not walking by faith. That's why we're getting beat up. And it's not pleasing God. We see the whole circumstances of the children of Israel, and what God said. Why are these people still... How long are these people going to reject me? And he took unbelief, the hardness of heart and unbelief, as rejecting him. When we're carnally minded, the Bible says we're at enmity with God. The carnal mind is at enmity with God and doesn't understand the things of God. Neither can it. There's no connection between the carnal mind and God. The two have nothing to do with each other. One is natural and the other is spiritual. And they're against one another. The Bible says the flesh is at war with the spirit and the spirit with the flesh. They're enemies. This body we live in is at enmity with God. And all the, the aspects of it, the natural mind, our human nature, the natural human heart, it says is desperately wicked. Above all things. Our natural human heart. That's why we need a change. That's why we need a conversion. That's why we need to be born again. To be, to be delivered and rescued from this evil, natural human heart. That's desperately wicked. If you don't believe the human heart is desperately wicked, just take a look. Watch the news for a while. you know, And take a look at some of the thoughts that go through us if we allow them to. Uh, our human heart, our natural human, our natural, 
our human nature is is very corrupt and we dare not follow 